Welcome to the Bitcoin Breakout, a production of the Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spierko. Remember, you can always find all our episodes at thebitcoinbreakout.com. You can also find all episodes of the Survival Podcast at tspc.co. If you want full personal sovereignty, Bitcoin is only one step. On the Survival Podcast, we discuss all aspects of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and personal liberty. Now strap in and get ready for another episode of the Bitcoin Breakout, where we discuss how Bitcoin and the Lightning Network will literally change everything. Fix the money, fix the world. And we are live. I want to say uh, welcome to our special guest today, Katie the Russian, uh, who's going to be joining us today to talk about flag theory, Plan B passports, and stuff like that. Welcome today, Katie. Thank you for having me. Super excited. I think this will be a really good discussion. Um, I am putting this out on our secondary feed Bitcoin breakout in addition to TSP, but I sent out a, an alert today basically telling my people this is a Bitcoin topic, but it's a it's an everybody topic. I think it's going to be a really uh, exciting topic, and we're going to be talking about things like judicial arbitrage, what a second passport is, flag theory, bunch of stuff like that. Before we do that real, uh, real quick, though, I want to go ahead and uh, bring our, our sponsor up for the day. Um, I have uh, a deal that I've worked out. Actually, I haven't worked out. Nicole Sauce worked out with John Bush for the upcoming Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee. For some of you guys that are unable to come to the event in person, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just bring up John and let him tell you about it. He's got a pretty good program put together where you can be there from home. Here we go. Hey, it's John Bush with Live Free Academy, and I'd like to invite you to purchase a virtual immersion pass to the Self-Reliance Festival October 1st and 2nd. Maybe you heard our story before. I was invited to speak at the Self-Reliance Festival, and this was back in June. They did another one, and I learned, hey, they're not going to be recording or capturing this at all. What's up with that? With this incredible lineup of speakers and presenters, we got to capture it for posterity and so we can share it with the world because everybody needs this knowledge. So I decided to fund Rebecca Cunningham, our incredible videographer that's done the land summit, the greater reset, all sorts of work with us, pay for her to go up there, bring her equipment, and we set it all up and we recorded that, right? And we have those replays there available. But get this, this time around, we're more prepared and we are going to be delivering a live stream pass of the Self-Reliance Festival that's taking place October 1st and 2nd. An incredible lineup of speakers. You can scroll down to see who all is going to be there. And in typical Live Free Academy fashion, we call it a virtual immersion pass because you're going to feel as though you're there participating in the event. We're going to bring some big old TV screens, which will display you in a Zoom room, in a Zoom meeting, right? And then we're going to take turns whenever there's Q&A opportunities. We're going to go to a question from the virtual audience, a question from the in-person question from the virtual, question from the in-person. And when you ask a question online on Zoom, we're going to pull you up there on the screen so the speakers and the presenters can address you directly. It's a really cool, immersive experience. I really appreciate the way that we do it, and I know you're going to appreciate it too. So get this. You can purchase your virtual immersion pass and participate live in the October 2022 Self-Reliance Festival. And as a bonus to sweeten the pot and to share some really incredibly important information with you, we're going to throw in 
the Self-Reliance Festival June 2022 replay as well. So look, don't miss this opportunity. You will get access to the replay of the upcoming event if you can't make it live, but I strongly, strongly encourage you to join us live. The chat in the Zoom room is incredible. The immersive experience, the in-person audience, seeing the virtual audience, it really gets me excited. So I hope you'll purchase your ticket to the October 1st and 2nd Self-Reliance Festival. You won't be disappointed. This is critical information as we enter some crazy, crazy times. The world around you may be crumbling, but you can thrive during the craziness. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, guys, with that, uh, we're going to get into our interview today, but definitely check it out. And if you're on the live feed, there's yummy links down there in the video notes. And, of course, the audio notes will go up about an hour after the live stream ends. There's also a link for that in the video notes below. Anyway, Katie, uh, welcome today. Sorry to make you th- sit through a sponsor spot, but I had to get that one in today, and I wanted it in the live feed. So, uh, anyway, um, let's start off with who is Katie the Russian, right? Like, it sounds very nefarious, right? Like, it, you know, kind of what's your background, and how did you get into kind of the world that you're in today with the concept of a Plan B passport? Yeah, so as you can guess, I was born and raised in Russia. I only moved to the States about six and a half years ago, um, hence my name, Katie the Russian. But, you know, I didn't know back then when I came up with this name that the whole world was going to hate me just for the country where I'm coming from. Uh, so I had to go through a lot of shit on Twitter when the war started, um, trying to explain how I see the nation states and politicians. Uh, but people don't really want to go into details. They just want to hate somebody. So, Because, of course, it's your fault. Yeah. Right? The person who is from Russia, it's your fault. Like, it's every Russian's fault, right? Yeah, that's what <laughs> it is. Um. Yeah, so born and raised there. Um, um, I grew up in a small town in the mountains. So growing up there really kind of set me up with all the ideas of sovereignty because my dad has been hunting and fishing my whole life. We had a garden, uh, so I grew up gardening. Uh, we had chickens. And then at the age of nine, I started sailing. And this hobby kind of got out of hands, and I became a professional sailor, um, competing for Russian national team and World Cups and things like that, which I believe also, like, one of the best skills you can learn for self-reliance and self-sovereignty because that's the ultimate censorship-resistant travel. Uh, there's no gatekeepers. There's no airports uh, where you have to land. Um, boat really can get you anywhere. Well, you're also pretty self-sufficient at that point because you're, like, surrounded by water, and either you got what you need or you improvise or you, you die, right? Like, that, that's pretty much a survival skill. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and when I was 21, I moved to the United States. United States granted me a green card based on my extraordinary ability, which is sailing. Uh, they wanted me to compete for America now, so they granted me residency here. And that changed a lot. Like, that changed my life a lot because throughout my immigration, I realized that there is this concept of jurisdictional arbitrage. And at first I was playing it on a very small scale, such as like I would use my Russian driver license here in the U.S., pretend that I don't speak English, and the cops would let me go. My dad does the same in Russia. He has a Florida driver license. He does not speak English at all. But he gets pulled over, and he's like, no speak Russian American citizen, and shows them an American driver license. And they're like, oh, my God, what can I do? Like, can I take a picture with that? It's kind of cool. 
and they just let him go. So that was like a really small scale of the jurisdictional arbitrage I was playing back then. But then I knew that there is a bigger, the higher kind of scale of this game, and I started digging it, and that's how I discovered flat theory. And my definition of flat theory is an ability, like, the concept of flat theory is to limit your dependency on any one particular state by obtaining flags or stacking flags in different jurisdictions that suits you for different, um, different needs and different goals. So the jurisdictional arbitrage toolbox consists of things like citizenships, residencies, bank accounts, legal entities, bug out homes, uh, just uh, lifestyle, tribe. So all these things can set you up with another flag. And the more flags you have, I mean, it's not necessarily the more flags, the, the right flags you have, uh, no. the freer you are. You could have three really bad ones, right? But if you have three decent, two really good ones and one decent one, then, you know. I think what's interesting about this is Americans have a, a real jaded view of their own position in the world. In some ways, the best thing in the world you can be is an American citizen. In other ways, not so much. And I think that's a very hard thing for people to say. I have a lot of advantages and not realize they have disadvantages. Here be just one simple example. If I was a Costa Rican citizen and I want to open a bank account in another country, they're like, okay, fill this paperwork out. We'll open a bank account for you. Uh, most countries are like, oh, you're an American citizen. You're not a, a, a chameleonaire. Okay, well, no. You're too much. Basically, you're just too much of a pain in the ass. Like, the United States didn't say that they couldn't give you a bank account. They said, here's all the things you have to do to give them a bank account. And the, and the banks of those countries just said, how much money do you have? A couple hundred grand? You're not worth it. Yeah. And so that would just be one example, right? I'm sure there's others. Yeah, so that's FATCA rule. Basically, all the countries are, they, they must report back to IRS on all of their American citizens. And that's just complete spying, honestly. Like, you're opening a bank account elsewhere. Why the fuck would America needs to know about that? Um, but that's one of the liability of American passport. It's a pretty powerful passport. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. is. And it's a good place to be. I am currently in the, in, a, in the United States myself, but, um, it does come with some disadvantages. One of the biggest one, honestly, is citizenship based taxation. Only two countries in the world have citizenship based taxation, America and Eritrea. And basically what that means is you may move out to United States, like you you might have moved out 20 years ago, you don't live here, you don't get income from here, you don't work with the U.S. at all, you still have to file with Uncle Sam. Um, and that's not the case with Canada or Australia, even even, even those those are pretty crazy states these days. Um, so they, they will not require you to file for the rest of your life. You can become a non-tax resident of Canada quite easily, not the case in the U.S. Yeah, I mean... That, that's also like a very powerful example. And my understanding is the way most other countries in the world view this is you're not here. You're not using the services we provide to you as a citizen. So you're not a burden on the system. So we don't need to tax you. You pay tax based on the, you know, the, the location that you're in using services, whatever they say. And, and our, our country in particular is like, I always compare the United States government to a character from a, uh, a movie. A funny, stupid movie, uh, Idiocracy, right? I'm sure you've seen Idiocracy, right? And there's a, in, in the, in the current time before they go forward in time by being asleep or whatever, there's a pimp named Upgrade. 
And like, I always end up, the, the, the girls, I was like, upgrade, gonna get his money. And that is Uncle Sam, right? Uncle Sam is upgrade. He gonna get his money. And you can go live in Russia. You can go live in Germany. You can go live in Sweden. You're not here. You're not using my roads and my schools. And you're still on the hook for the income. And that seems to be, uh, rather preposterous. But so help me out here. Let's say that I obtain a, citizenship or national status uh, of Costa Rica or St. Kitts or some of the other places on your website. And now I'm in Germany and I'm living in Germany. Am I off the hook with Uncle Sam or does he still, is upgrade still going to get his money or can I go there as a Costa Rican uh, national, let's say? So uh, there will be multiple things involved here. The, a few things that you can do to lower your tax liabilities with the U.S., you won't be off the hook right away. Like, okay. no reasons for that. You have to file with Uncle Sam every year, all your taxes. Um, now, America has dual taxation um, agreement with most of the countries in the world, meaning that you won't have to pay in both countries. Like, um, sometimes you have to pay the difference. Even, let's say, you pay 30% in Germany, but in the U.S. you would pay 44%, so this 14% you might have to still pay in the U.S. Mm. But now... Um, There are a few options that you have to do. And again, all the disclaimers, not a tax, not an accountant, not a tax yeah. advisor. Um, first thing is a you can file as a non-resident of the United States, uh, which will exempt $110,000 of your annual income from your income taxes. So that's like the low-hanging fruit that everybody can do just by moving out of, uh, of the U.S. and paying income tax elsewhere. Now, um, Most of my audience doesn't really care about income all that much. They mostly care about um, capital gains. And that's where they really get you. Uh, the only place where you can avoid capital gains tax while being a U.S. citizen is Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory but not a state, and they have zero capital gains taxation. Again, if you bought a bunch of assets on the mainland and then – Uh, let's say in 2024, you moved to Puerto Rica and sold all your Bitcoin there. That's not going to work yeah. uh, because most of the time you spent in the U.S., like on the mainland, and they're going to look at look at it as unrealized capital gains. Mm -hmm. Tax on that. And then from the moment you became a Puerto Rico resident until you sold, that won't be taxable. But that's what a lot of people are doing in the bear market. They are moving to Puerto Rico, so they would even file losses sometimes, but then um, they won't pay capital gains on top of that. And the very radical option, which a lot of people are doing these days, and the numbers just keep growing and growing, is renunciation of the U.S. citizenship, which is pretty crazy uh, step because U.S. passport is quite powerful, as we discussed, yeah. to get you in, in like, so many countries in the world visa-free. Um, so, yeah, it's a... It's quite an asset for many people, and so many of immigrants are trying to get it so hard. But Americans do renounce it. I believe about 8,000 people renounced their U.S. citizenship in 2021, which is a big number. Uh, so renunciation also comes with some liabilities, such as exit tax. Again, uh, on the day of your renunciation, they count all your assets. If you do exceed $2,000 million, you will be... Um, you will be charged your exit tax. And again, uh, on the day of, re of renunciation, they count your assets. They count unrealized gains 
on your assets. And the next year when you file, you have to pay those taxes. Again, that's why a lot of people try to renounce at the bottom of the bear market because you renounce at $19,000. And then next year, let's say we skyrocket again to 60, uh, paying those capital gains or unrealized capital gains to the 19 is not, not, not going to be that painful. Um, or it might even, like you said, been a loss because they don't have a wash rule in, in Bitcoin. So I could, and that's I've tried to explain to people, there's a totally different subject, but you get a choice in how you manage your taxes with Bitcoin. You can either, for the full year, manage based on first in, first out, or you can manage on individual UTXOs. And so you can selectively lose money, buy it right back. And that's whether you're doing what you're saying or not. But at that point, we've actually... Oh yeah, you want you want me to pay a tax? Well, you actually this is a deduction now, and, and I think a bigger thing, especially for Bitcoiners, is asset protection, right? Because what I when I really got in, I got back into Bitcoin back in 2013, and one of the most powerful things to me was understanding what a seed phrase was, public and private key, and the concept that I could take information, and if I if I was really gutsy, I could do it in my head. I could get on a plane. Step off in Tokyo or Manila or Madrid or, uh, you know, Buenos Aires and input that information and have access to all my funds. And there was literally no way for anybody to take that away from me. But that precludes my ability to go there. Right. That's the big thing is, can I go there? And up until recently, we would say, well, if you're a U.S. citizen, you pretty much go anywhere in the world that you want to. Then we have this whole thing called the COVIDs that happened for a couple of years. There's all sorts of travel restrictions, and some citizens could go to some, you know, some people under some passports could go to some places and others not. You know, it was weird, and you would see things like, you know, you you can't go to this country, but if you were a national or citizen of that country, you could go to that country. So at least you had some options. In many situations, I think the best option was to be here because we had states like Florida and South Dakota and, and, and Texas where I'm at, but you never know. Like that's kind of like, like shake it up and dump out the Aussie dice and you don't know what you're going to get the next time something like this happens. Yeah. Uh, so I actually had about 50 flights throughout the first year of COVID, uh, never had to get a job or for huh. any of those flights. You just had to be very strategic about where you fly and how you fly. So that was, um, uh, that was quite a journey, but I spent most of my pandemic in Mexico, uh, which we did not have any restriction. I was throwing a dense bottle on the main street uh, at like May 2021, and people were cool about it. Yeah. Um, one thing that you mentioned about asset protection. So the whole class theory and jurisdictional arbitrage started uh, mostly for the sake of asset protection because people would make money, they would not trust their government, they would not trust their country, and would want to keep some of their money elsewhere. That's where the whole Panama Papers came out, right? Like that, the Panama Papers existed on the top of asset protection uh, of wealthy individuals. That's why we have offshore banking and all these things. Bitcoin has changed this game a lot because the best asset protection mechanism is SHA-256, and that's that's what we are here for. Now, governments hate Bitcoin. Uh, for I mean, we break their whole revenue model in many ways, so obviously they wouldn't like that. So now asset protection comes down to protecting yourself physically, and that's what the jurisdictional arbitrage of these days for Bitcoiners is coming down to. 
basically what you want to make sure is that you can always flee the country if you, if you have to, because you can flee with your 12 wards or 24 wards and you're just fine. You, you, you're fleeing the country with all your, all your assets, but will you be able to get away if the time comes and they do 6102 on Bitcoin, which is, uh, you know, seizing, uh, gold back, back in the day. So if that day comes, you just need to make sure you, you can get the fuck out of here. And that's why Texas is so good, I believe. Uh, Texas is right by the border and you can always escape both by land and by water. So I think that's one of the best places to be in the U.S. That's an interesting thing that you bring up because there were a lot of people that went to Mexico during this whole mess. And a lot of them were Canadians and they were not able to get from Canada to Mexico, but they were able to get from Canada to the United States. And then they just went to a border town and just walked across the border. You know, all those people we see walking across the border. Well, it turns out you can walk across the border the other way. And uh, there was a lot of that that went on. And it, I actually worked with quite a few people. I was part of Anarchapoco last year. And there were a lot of people that were there. That was, they were Canadians, and that's exactly how they got there. And I also try to point out to people how big a difference where you are can be. And this, this is from Texas I'm about to show. Um, but this is at the height of the pandemic. This is at you know, what was going on at this time that made me do this picture was Gavin Newsom was talking about exactly how many people you would be able to have for uh, your Thanksgiving meal. And it was right in the middle of our fall workshop. And this is my garage in November of 2020 at, at the, the height of restrictions. And this is Texas. And no one gave two crafts. And that that shows the value of being able to select your jurisdiction at any given time. And we take that for granted in America because we are a republic, uh, at least the vestiges of a republic, and there is some autonomy between the states. But you have no idea when you're going to need to move. I've talked about this, too. Like, if you could go back in time and you were in the United States right before the Civil War started, the best thing you could have done was move to Maine. Right? That would have been the best play you could have made. You just get out of the way of where the mess is going to be. And we have no idea what the mess is going to be and what it's going to look like. And, again, I think in America we, we do have so many advantages that we lose sight of our disadvantages, and we also lose sight of the reality. When somebody says it can't happen here, that's usually when it's about to happen here. There's so many places in the world that you wouldn't want to live right now, but if you were there 50 years ago, you'd say, well, this is great. This is great. Look, look at uh, – Argentina, not even, could be worse, definitely, but, like, if you go back 30, 40 years, Buenos Aires was, like, the Paris of South America before complete catastrophe, capital controls, all of that hit, right? So, like, we have this saying in prepping, two is one and one is none. And so the way I look at that with your options as to how you travel and where you go, one can become none really fast, and it can become none on en masse or because the target is pointed at you. Yeah, you know, one thing that you mentioned, uh, travel to places, I always mention this flag that no other people in the industry mention is your tribe, right? You can go to other places uh, in a moment of civil unrest or when you become a target, but having a tribe at the place where you go to, knowing the, knowing the place, knowing the people, knowing where you can get food, ammunition, and things like that is extremely important. So, like, 
invest into that, build up your tribe in places that where you might escape. So I know now that in Mexico, I do have my tribe. And if I have to go elsewhere, I'll go there and I'll build my life from scratch in a matter of days. Um, so that's, that's one of pretty important flag if you consider uh, the flag to you for, from a prepper perspective. So explain to us exactly how second passports work. I think sometimes they involve citizenship. Sometimes they involve some other national status. What's the process like for a person that decides they want to take this journey? Yeah. So I work with jurisdictions that provide you with a straight path to citizenship, meaning uh, it's called citizenship by investment. Okay. And the reason I like this program so much, because A, uh, not a lot of headache. B, it's a pure capitalistic approach to nation states. You basically put down 100, 150 grand, uh, donate it into national um, development fund or something like that, and they grant you a passport. Um, and you don't have to visit the country. You don't have to live in the country. All you do is a purely capitalistic transaction of money for passport, and that's that's pretty great. In a scenario where you're just looking for a Plan B passport, which is a powerful document um, that will work in a case that your passport gets uh, taken away, lost, or um, your nation state where you currently live doesn't doesn't do well anymore, that's what you want to have. Now, that's not the only option to have those passports. Uh, there are much longer and different structures, such as uh, going through a residency program. Residence and citizenship are not the same thing. Citizenship and passport come hand in hand, but residency is just, it's not a travel document. It's a status of you in a country. Um, basically means that you will be able to travel to this country at any point. You are able to live there full time. You'll be able to open bank accounts, uh, work there, pretty much, pretty much have all the rights, rights of a citizen of the country except for voting, which is, I don't care about it. You're preaching the choir here. Yeah. 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 So that's what. Nobody with math and my vote counts or bo- don't bother me about it. And no one, I get a lot of people mad at me about it, but I'm like, use math and show your work. And that ends that discussion really fast. So a national status, you would not get a passport is what you're saying. Yeah. So residency program most likely will lead you to a citizenship later on. Usually okay. what they say, so somebody's commenting about Mexico and we just launched Mexico residency as one of our services at Plan B Passport. Basically, if you keep your residency for five years, you will be able to apply for citizenship. It comes with a naturalization process um, uh, that involves you becoming a citizen and obtaining a passport. It also comes with a language exam, kind of like history, language, culture exam. Um, United States have, has it too, exactly, actually. Uh, so residency is just a slower path to citizenship. Okay. And I think for some people, maybe that's a path that they would, if they wanted to do this, they would need to take because the numbers you're throwing around for some people, you know, if somebody's sitting on $5 million worth of Bitcoin and 150 grand um, ensures my ability to never have it taken from me, that's a, a, an insurance ratio that starts to make a lot of sense really fast. Some of it's like, well, you know, my, all in, I'm worth 300 grand, and I'm going to have to give up half my net wealth to do this thing. That may not be economically, that math may not work out for them. And yeah, then some and people may just not have the ability. Like, they just don't have that kind of money that's disposable. Yeah, and I definitely understand that. Um, it's, it's not for everybody. I do believe that flat theory is for everybody, though. Again, okay. you don't have to proceed with citizenship by investment program. 
you can proceed with residency status. So, for example, Mexican residency costs you $3,000 altogether. Um, and basically what, well, you also have to prove that you do have good income above $2,700 a month, or you have savings above $45,000 uh, altogether. Uh, but that's about it. And $3,000 will get you a residency in Mexico, um, which you have to hold for five years in order to obtain citizenship later on. That's now, again, other um, instruments in a flat theory toolbox is having your try, having a bug out home, knowing where you might have to escape, having a bank account uh, elsewhere, having a Bitcoin exchange account elsewhere. Like all those things. Uh, is something that you can do now in, without spending 150 grand. Do you know, because there was talk about this, but I'm not sure that it actually was put in place. When El Salvador went Bitcoin native with a currency, there was this program that McKaylee was talking about that go down to El Salvador, spend three Bitcoin. You spend it on yourself, right? But you had to spend it in El Salvador. And then you got, uh, I guess you got residency, For that, and then after a certain amount of time, you can apply to be a national. I don't think it ever led to citizenship. Um, that so, seems like a reasonable thing because unlike making a donation to the uh, oligarchy fund, let's just accept that, right? Um, I'm going to go buy a beach house for $60,000 like $60, right now. I can buy a decent place in El Salvador. It's mine. I own it. I don't know what the restrictions are on like how long I have to hold that asset or what have you. But instant, I have residency. And like you said, I got my, my, my little bug out shack on the beach, on the surf beach near uh, uh, Bitcoin Beach. Mm -hmm. So El Salvador keeps talking about this program a lot, but they okay. uh, they didn't really put it in place just yet. Literally the next day after they announced Bitcoin as a legal tender, I've been calling Mexican, um, El Salvador uh, immigration unit speaking to them on my broken Spanish, trying to figure out, and she's like, Bitcoin, what is it? I'm like, okay, oh boy. that's where we at. So, you know, when you bring crazy reforms to the government of the country, it takes a while to spread out through all other industries, and immigration is not their first priority right now. Uh, they're pretty happy with Bitcoiners just traveling down and spending money there. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that they will come out with um, – citizenship by investment, residency by investment programs, which might involve just purchasing real estate, just like you said. And I actually recorded an open letter to President Bukele uh, a few months ago um, and was able to get in touch with uh, local authorities and give them my proposal. I was also able to ask a lot of Bitcoiners how they would love to see this program. So I do believe that I can just come up with a perfect solution for both El Salvador and Bitcoiners and implement this program. So I'm trying my best on my side. I'm definitely uh, interested in getting this program going. Because that sounds like an interesting one. I, I remember hearing about a program years ago, and I don't know if it's still around with Costa Rica, where it was like you had to capitalize quarter million dollars, but you still had access to it and you could use it to do things like create a company, purchase real estate. And as long as you kept it capitalized, For, I think it was like two and a half years, you could get uh, residency or citizenship or something like that in Costa Rica. So I think there's like a, a ton of different options out there. And I, like you said, I think it's like you have to figure out the one that works for you. Because, yeah. like I said, some people would be like, 150 grand and I have citizenship? Let's go. It's, yeah, let's make that happen. I mean, I can think of like my former business partner, Neil Franklin, that guy was a baller. I'm sure. I think he did it. I think he had like two. 
because it was just like, I am ensuring my wealth long term. He was also a, a British citizen. So he had kind of that whole thing with being able to travel within their territorial system. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, there are some funny programs, too. You can have a baby in Brazil. The baby gets all the citizenships of parents and Brazilian citizenship. Parents get permanent residency right away. And if they spend a year in Brazil, they get Brazilian citizenship. So Reverse anchor baby. Yeah, it's anchor baby. That's what it is. Reverse anchor baby for Americans, right? That's that's interesting. That's that's interesting. I'm, I'm past those years with my wife, but that's interesting. Um, not necessarily a bad nation to be able to, uh, to have citizenship for either. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, some long-term potential there. I'm seeing um, comments, uh, in, in comments, I see the problem with Mexico is that you can't bring your firearms or even knives. Just like, you know, you, you, you can't smoke weed in those states that don't allow weed, right? Yeah. That's basically how it works in Mexico. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, I, I think it's it, 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 it all depends, too. Like, so if you're about to lose everything you own and you can keep what you own and live in Mexico without a gun or you can stay here and have a gun and lose everything you own, you might have a different opinion of it at that moment in time. Let's let's kind of dig into what you call the flag theory toolbox. What are the instruments that we have within that toolbox? Yeah, so what I call is citizenship, residency, bank account, real estate or bagout house, and tribe. Those are, in my opinion, the most important. A legal entity for those who are involved in business, too. What was the last one you said, though, before business entity? Um, it sounded like Tribe. Tribe. Okay. I think it sounded like Stripe. Okay. So having community there. So let's kind of walk through those and talk about each one of them a little bit. Yeah. So citizenship is the ultimate plan B instrument that is a... Uh, full travel document. You can go to many countries with that. Again, the, the how powerful is your passport depends on what country it is from. For example, right now, probably the least powerful passport is Russian passport. It That's used to be able to get you to most of Latin America, but right now there are so many restrictions that come, so many liabilities that come with this passport. You are not allowed to use um, financial, traditional financial instruments. You're not allowed to send money and things like that. So um, that's something to consider. Now, another thing that I really like to mention is that you don't want to have two, three passports from the countries that are friends with each other. Like, for example, we all know that United States, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, five I countries, share all the information between each other. So you can have all those five countries, but I will count them as one flag because they're all in bed together. Now, if you start thinking geopolitical game, you want to have passports from countries that are more of an enemies or at least not communicated as, communicating that closely. So I always thought a, a good triangle would be like, let's say, Canadian passport, um, Russian passport, and Brazilian passport. Just an example. Those three countries are not like necessarily enemies, definitely not friends. And uh, they will allow you, basically these three passports will get you anywhere visa-free. So that's a good option. Now, um, Caribbean passports, in my opinion, are pretty good because, again, they give you a visa-free access to EU and most of Latin America. They're always, you know, sitting on a 
on a sidebar and eating popcorn whenever geopolitical game is going on. So they're not really participating all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I do like those jurisdictions for sure. And again, because they just purely give you passport for a hundred grand of a donation. Um, so you always try to consider that. Now with residencies, the next instrument in the toolbox, you want to make sure that this residency provides you with some protection from your original state, let's say. Um, so again, you don't want them to be completely in bed together. So let's say Canadian passport and American residency won't get you anywhere. They will extradite you right back. The cops will communicate pretty well and you will have no protection. Now, U.S. and Mexico are much better in this regard because uh, they don't like each other all that much, let's say. Um, and you also want to make sure that your residency will get you to the place where you can have a comfortable, good life for yourself and your family. You want to be able to, uh, you want to make sure that you have uh, food security down there. Um, you want to, you want to have access to good water, good real estate. You won't be, um, you won't be a target there as well. So make sure you know, you know those places quite well. Uh, now, after that, we have offshore banking, and that's something that you always want to have because um, Bitcoin is great, and I do believe that anywhere in the world, I don't need a, a third party in, in between Bitcoin and fiat. I'll always be able to find somebody from the tribe to you know get me to fiat if I have to. But um, for like simple solution, you always want to make sure that you can get into fiat in those countries. So... Um, Having a, a bank account outside of your first jurisdiction is really important. Now, tribe is something that I already described and mentioned. Um, you want to have skills in your tribe. You want to have assets in your tribe. You want to have trust in your tribe. So that's something to consider. Uh, and then legal entity, again, depending on what jurisdiction you're coming from, and um, you need to look into regulatory environment of, of different jurisdictions to understand if your business is uh, legal um, and all that stuff. So those are the instruments. Yeah, you said something there, like picked on right at the beginning. Um, that I think it's really important for people to think about with this as, as being a potential option. And that is, right now, if you're a Russian citizen traveling into like Latin America and all, is very, very much problematic. So imagine you're this Russian citizen, but you're living mostly abroad. You have business dealings in Latin America. You don't live there, but you travel there frequently, and you're thinking, ah, everything's good. You know, you've got your place wherever you actually live. Maybe you even still live in Russia and you travel from Russia and you, you need to see to your business dealings. And now you've done nothing. There's a fight between the government of the Ukraine and the government of Russia. It has nothing to do with you. And now you don't have access to the, to the, to the way that you make your living. And again, I think this always goes back to people thinking, well, that's, that's Russia. Right. Or that's China or that's Spain or that's now it's well, that's Canada. That's Australia. Australia is the country that threw their own citizens into basically concentration camps over the flu. Okay, that happened. Canada was probably in some ways even worse to think that like because just go think about it this way. You're a refugee somewhere in the Middle East or some other uh, developing part of the world, Central Africa. You get to a refugee camp and they say, you know what? We're going to get you into a country. We don't know which one yet, but you're going to go to Europe. You're going to go to, you know, Australia, South America, United States, whatever. You would have, if you had like, when I was in the military, you, you picked three places you wanted to get stationed and you, almost nobody ever got the ones they picked. 
but it was called your dream ticket. You would have put down United States, Canada, Australia in that order. That's what you would have put down. And if that would have been the middle of 2020, two of those were not so great places to be. And a lot of the United States wasn't either. We just had this like internal jurisdictional arbitrage that a lot of other uh, nations do not have. Yeah, you know what I what I like to look at as uh, like cultural differences. Like that's what you need mm-hmm. to have in your flat theory. Like again, yeah. Russia has not been shut down during COVID. Right now is the worst place no. to be. But during COVID, my parents had zero difference in their in their lifestyle. They were like, we we don't notice anything. Yeah, we can't fly much because the whole world is shut down. But we're just fine here um, because. I believe, okay, one thing that I want to mention is that bad times create uh, weak man, weak man create bad times, bad times create strong man. So yeah. when considering what's going to happen next in a geopolitical game, you can never guess because politicians do, do their fuck up things. Uh, but always consider that what kind of a mindset does the place have? Like that's, again, that's why Texas was not shut down during COVID because we would be able to push back. So when trying to find a good jurisdiction, find the people who are willing to push back with you. Um, so, yeah, that's not Canada or Australia. These days. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of places, let's say in Mexico, where the Mexican government did have some restrictions. Just it wasn't that anybody cared. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And you can say we're restricting this, but it's, it's like the substitute teacher in an unruly classroom full of eighth graders, and they just say, that's nice, Mrs. Smith, but we're going to screw off anyway because we know you got nothing. And yeah. I think there's a lot of the developing world, the third world, et cetera, that they didn't even know. They, they didn't even know. Like, they, didn't turn, they don't have a TV to turn on. There's some of the island nations and what have you in, like, the Pacific that, they, that what? Yeah. I don't yeah. care. Like, the only problem they really had is it did impact their ability uh, to have tourism. Yeah. Uh, like one of my good friends moved to uh, Saipan, which is a U.S. territory, and he said like that did hurt that the tourism was unable. He got in right before they they kind of closed everything down. Um, do you think eventually like is this there's a window for every opportunity, and this idea that I can just basically write a check and obtain you know citizen in maybe with St. Kitts or something like that. Do you think those windows will close? Or also, do you think it may be less closed but become more prohibitively expensive? Somebody here in the comments mentioned they remember, they looked at doing it years ago when you could do it in Belize for like 50 grand. All of a sudden, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. So some windows are closing, but others will open. I I have some hope in me maybe, but okay. I do believe that Bitcoin is basically going to force – uh, them to to start competing for fruits of our labor and for our assets. Now, as they can't easily seize them, just like they would with bank accounts uh, and um, our like traditional assets, we can just go elsewhere and you know find a better government for a better price, a better service. Um, and this whole nomad kind of lifestyle will really force governments to start competing for us. And that's what I want to believe. Again, um, I always mention this book, Sovereign Individual, that I'm sure you've read. Um, it talks a lot about the end of nation states throughout this competition. And that's what we do. We want to 
we want to accelerate the free market taking over the monopolies that we have in the world. And that's what's happening right now um, with some of the jurisdictions. I do believe that governments will be separated on two, those who understand Bitcoin and those who don't. So those who don't will try to ban Bitcoin, which uh, somebody tweeted recently. Uh, governments banning Bitcoin is just uh, themselves, like banning themselves from Bitcoin network. That's all they can I, do. I, I look at it as you're fencing off an ocean with a chain link fence. Great. Right? The water's just, you might collect up some seaweed and stuff, but the water's just coming through. You, it's, or you're trying to sweep the water off the beach while the waves are coming in it, or you, you're putting a gate on a sidewalk with no fence on the outside. It's pointless. It, it, and as dumb as our government is, and it is, they're not as dumb as a lot of governments, right? Like, and I think that like the only person, the only thing you're hurting by doing that as the American government is yourself. Right. And I don't mean your people because I think they're totally willing to hurt us. I, I no doubt about that. But I think that at this point, I was going to say there's an awful lot of bureaucrats and elected officials that are holding an awful lot of Bitcoin yeah. more than anybody thinks. And I guess my my thing is sooner or later, they're going to approve an ETF, a spot ETF in America. And once they do that, that's that that will be the parabolic moment, I think, in Bitcoin price, because we are the basically the biggest financial market in the world. And at that point, then closing that door becomes untenable. When Bitcoin is part of the public school uh, in Boston's retirement account, you, you, you can't. You, it, when, it's, when it's part of the retirement of, account of firefighters in New York City, you, you just can't do that anymore. And I think that's part of why it's been held back for so long, because they know it's kind of a, it's it's a it's a turn and, and 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 they can't ever pull it back after that, uh, not easily anyway. I mean, it would be really difficult. I also think it's interesting you talk about a competitive market. Like I've always been fascinated by this. I look at so many of these small countries that have significant natural resources, land available, etc. No money to develop it with, and I think like I would be if it was me if I owned Jackistan. Like, I would be the Walmart of citizenship. We have a blue light special this week, baby. Let's go. Like, I would be like, you know, 15 grand and you have to buy a house valued at at least $50,000 and you have to keep that house and, and, and maintain it for five years and here you can have it. Like, something like, and then I've always said the first person, the first time something like that happens, like, People get, governments get greedy, right? All the time. And like, when you see one nation doing it, it's only a matter of time before others pile in. I'm actually, I don't, how do you feel? I'm kind of surprised that no other nations really pulled in El Salvador yet. Yeah, that's true. So that's what I think the smart states will start doing. They they are not able to stack much Bitcoin. Like if they start stacking up, the price will just skyrocket. We all know that. So El Salvador is stacking Bitcoin right now, but the smart move they're going to do is just attract Bitcoiners is, is what they were doing. So I believe that will be the smartest move for other nations, uh, and mm -hmm. everybody should do that. Start either golden visa programs where, again, based on real estate investment, you can obtain residency first, or even what other people propose, you just have to prove a certain amount of Bitcoin in your holdings, and then you're welcome to the country. That's what El Salvador was talking about as well, because... If you are a Bitcoiner, if you hold a substantial amount of Bitcoin, I want you to have in this country. 
because I know that at some point you will have to spend it and you will spend it in my economy rather than elsewhere. So I want you to bring this capital down here. Um, and that's what smart states will start doing. And we'll, this competition will evolve. The governments will have to produce, be- produce, but provide better service at better price. And again, just like every free, free market, it drives the price down and it drives the quality up. And that's what we want to see. You know, and if you think about it, I've always said that like one of the most secure parts of the world that's not very secure, unfortunately, um, but it should be, is the tropics and subtropics because we can produce food year round in, in those climates. And if you have food security, everything else comes through. If you look at the most desperate places in the world, the first thing that fails is food security and then all the rest of all forms of security fall. You end up with military juntas and stuff like that because people can't feed themselves. And the second I can't feed my child, I will do shit to other people that I would never consider. I would sit there and judge the person that did it. But the second I look at my kid and I see my kid's ribs sticking out, like I will steal your food just to feed my kid. I'm sorry. I'll do it. And so when food security falls apart, everything falls apart. Well, we should have no food security problems in the tropics and subtropics. And there's so many of these nations like El Salvador, like Panama, like Costa Rica, like Belize that exist in that space or into Ecuador and places like Cuenca and stuff like that, that I just see like this incredible opportunity. And I'd love to see like if somebody will go first, that's what I will, if somebody will take that shot. Um, the other thing I've always thought of, and I don't know how much leverage it would really give you, but I've always wondered why uh, American native American tribes don't sell some sort of provisional citizenship. Like where you don't get your little, your little uh, like, uh, you know, monthly money, but you do get, protection of the tribe and i think it's basically because they just don't trust us and i don't i don't blame them but i think like you could test case this and see how it works right yeah no yeah we were thinking about it for sure how do we get to the reservation um because they don't pay taxes yeah i would be doing uh medical tourism all types of things because what we've done is terrible what we've done to the native americans of their reservations is terrible they have no ability to really make money off their land which is the primary asset that they have. That's supposed to be for their – it's amazing. The government always does things for your protection that hurts you and benefits them. Um, but, like, there's no reason that a Native American tribe could not start setting up their own hospital system and basically doing medical procedures for people that go there to receive that medical treatment uh, outside of the conventional insurance system would be one particular thing that they could be doing, especially things that are – Serving a higher-end clientele, more cosmetic and stuff like that to start out and build enough assets to get into the world of, like, cancer treatment and everything else. Like, there's so much opportunity there, but I guess we're, we're straying a little bit. Um, but you know what? Um, reservations are no longer incentivized to do anything. They got on a socialist injection, yep. on a socialist job, and that's all, all they do. I recently went to visit a reservation in Florida and I wanted to take a boat tour around uh, Everglades, basically the, the crocodiles, alligator stuff. They all were closed. They had a bunch of piers with a bunch of boats, but they were not working because they're not incentivized. So mm. we couldn't find anybody who, who we could pay so the person would take us on a boat because they're like, eh, drunk in the middle of the day because they're getting government check in the mail every week. It's just sad. You know, it's, it, it's a proof that socialism is a disaster for human humanity is the way I look at it. I did the math years ago and I explained how native Americans are the most impoverished demographic in the United States. 
However, they should be, at this point, the wealthiest demographic in the United States. And I showed up just a small portion of that monthly stipend had been invested in the most boring investments for the last five generations. That, that like, Trump Casino would be a Native American casino. Like, Las Vegas would be full of Native Americans if they wanted to stay in the casino business because there's there's such an ability to compound wealth and hand it down generationally, especially siloed off where the government doesn't get to dip in and take money every time there's an estate transfer, that they should be the wealthiest people in the world, even with a relatively modest income. And I don't know. I got a lot of yelling and shouting at me over it, but I, I'm like, it's, it's, it's mathematics. And instead what we have is we've created this incredibly impoverished group of people, wonderful people. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, if you go visit people that, 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 you know, part of this demographic, they're wonderful, amazing people, great history and all. But when we, when we disincentivize productivity, we, we get less productivity. And it's not because they're a Native American. It's because they're a human being and you've disincentivized productivity. You take it and do it with any, I swear to God, you do it with any demographic. There'll always be the exceptions. People like me, I can tell people like yourself, we're going to, we're going to excel anyway. We don't care, but you got an aggregate average and it will drag at that lower denominator will pull everything along with it. True. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree for sure. Where, where should people start looking into building a flag strategy? Um, yeah, I would say that the first thing that you want to do is come up with a plan. Understand your threats, just like in every security model, right? Sovereignty 101, Prepper 101, what are your threats? And um, that's something you're going to figure out. Is it your ex-wife? Is it your is it three-letter agency? Is it an um, estate actor? And that's something that a lot of Bitcoin Bitcoiners who are also preppers need to think about is that the biggest threat that we all have is the state, and that's the hardest one to prepare against. So flag theory is exactly a tool to prepare against the state actor attack. So again, understand your um, your threats, build what works for you, understand what solutions, what residency citizenship, again, what tools you need to use in order to hash, again, those threats. And then start executing one-on-one. Yeah, once you build a plan, you will understand what's the budget you need to consider for uh, one of those programs. And then you will be able to understand what's the probability of each one of those threats. And one by one, start knocking down the flags. Again, there is no flag theory. There is no flag strategy that will work for everybody. And there is no flag strategy that will work for you for the rest of your life. Again, you have to adapt. You have to play the geopolitical bullshit game because that's just the part of our world and we've got to accept it. Um, and based on that, your flag theory will, flag theory will change, uh, across time, but just, just get along with that. Very cool. And I, I just had your website up there. Um, can you tell people a little bit about it? Cause then they can get in touch with you and, and, and see if this is right for them. Yep, so Plan B Password is a Bitcoiner-focused um, jurisdictional arbitrage service. We help people obtain citizenship and residencies. In many cases, we're also just willing to chat with you to understand your threats and help you out understand what kind of tools you may use here and there. Um, we we do put together a lot of content on our email newsletter where you can learn more about different ways of obtaining residencies and citizenship that you don't have to go through with us. You can just uh, execute on your own. 
Uh, so yeah, uh, please feel free to reach out over Telegram or email planbpassport.com. And just, I mean, I guess the cost is variable depending on the path, but what are the, the costs associated with this and kind of the timelines associated with the cost? Because you said some are straight paths. It's still, I don't think it's like I write a check today and I get a passport tomorrow. There is a, there is a, a, a process. Yeah, let me go over the most popular program of ours. It's either citizenship of Antigua or citizenship of St. Lucia. So, for example, a single applicant for St. Lucia. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Had to cough a little. Single <laughs> applicant for St. Lucia. The whole cost will end up being $130,000. And what's important to understand is that you don't put $130,000 grand down right away and hoping to get citizenship. It starts with just $10,000 of government fees. We put together the case, we submit it, you pay due diligence fee, which is around $10,000 for a single applicant. And then only, <coughs> sorry, lots of talking, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then it takes around four or five months for government government of some solution to do due diligence on you, basically look at your background, do a criminal background check, um, understand the source of funds for you and things like that. And then five months into the process, you receive a letter of pre-approval, which states that, okay, you're good to go. You will get your passport as long as you proceed with donation. And that's where you, where you put down the rest of the money. And two, three weeks later, you get a passport. So with Santa Lucia, the whole process takes about five, six months and $130,000 for a single applicant. With Antigua, it would be six, seven months and let's say $170,000 for a family of four. Okay. And can you talk about maybe why a person would want to use a service like yours? I mean, um, I think that when anybody would go into this realm, there's a lot of potential for money to vanish and we need some more money, please. And I know you, one of the reasons I had you on is you have a very good reputation, especially within the Bitcoin community. You've been doing this a while. How are you able to make sure that people are dealt with on the level? Yeah. So as you mentioned, reputation is everything, especially on the Bitcoin standard. Everything is on chain. Uh, same, same goes for reputation. So one thing that I want to say about my audience, I never go out and put out Google ads or Facebook ads for my services. So whenever somebody comes to me for my services, they've been probably following me for a while or either somebody told them about me. So my my audience and my customer, my clientele is uh, very aligned with my my vision for the world, my philosophy. So it's just it's just a pleasure to work with my clients for me. I never get rid of just chatting with them after we get the work done. Um, those are just cool Bitcoin people uh, most of the time. And uh, the reason they come to me is also because I know their pain points. They, they go to other industry players um, who don't understand Bitcoin, don't understand, again, the pain points, and the conversation just doesn't go as well. While I'll know exactly what you're talking about right away. Again, just because we are part of the same community, we think the same, uh, we have the same values. So that's how I differentiate myself from other industry players. Awesome. We do have some questions. Let's uh, see if we can hit a few of those. Um, uh, Katie, high economic passport. Have you rated the options by country? Like, is there maybe like a, a, a list of like the best places? And I think you're going to say my favorite answer. It depends. Because it's going to be dependent on who the person, what, what, what citizenship do you currently have? But for an American, what are maybe some of their 
best options? You give it your most popular, but are, if, if money wasn't an object, is there better ones? Yeah, you can definitely look at some, like, actually quantitative reasons, right? For example, how many visa-free uh, countries do I get on this passport? That would be the easiest way. And for this, you can just go passport index um, and see, for example, St. Kitts will give you 156 countries visa-free. St. Lucia will give you 131 countries visa-free. And then you just look into specific countries that you want to go to and see if you have a visa-free access there. Now, that's one reason. Second reason would be probably tax regime. What countries do provide me with zero income tax, zero um, capital gains tax, zero gift tax, zero inheritance tax? There are countries like this. All the offshore jurisdictions are like that. So that that would be another quite quantitative um, thing to look at in those countries. But the correct answer is definitely depends. Let's look at your threats. Let's look at your goals, your family future plan, and build something, like customize something for you specifically. I think that, like, that's just one of those, it's so many variables. For instance, if I were to do this and I were to move permanently, then I would want to move my business. And I would want to do business. I would I would want, a like you said, a bank account, right? Even though I, I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin, a lot of people are going to pay with a Visa card. Like my membership program, 90% of my members are paying with U.S. dollars. And so if I was going to live in Antigua, I would. one of the things I would be considering is what is the process to set up a corporation there versus just live there and live off assets. That's a different thing. Or if, if I'm a real estate investor, I'm going to look at, you know, maybe that's that's a whole different ball of wax than running an Internet business, right? So I think that that would be another place you would probably dig into. I honestly think everybody should look into opening a legal entity elsewhere. Just again, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So like you physically in this country, your citizenship in this country, now your business and bank account are in this country. You have literally everything in the same basket. So maybe you want to consider opening uh, an LLC on St. Kitts and Nevis. Nevis provides you with the best privacy options for your business. Basically, nobody can look into who's the founder of the business unless they put a $25,000 bid and go into court to get a court order for that. Isn't it amazing? It's not because you're doing illegal activity or you're trying to hide from somebody. It's because privacy is a human right, and that's all you want to exercise. Is that doable without obtaining, like, the citizenship, the passport, national status? Like, is it, like, just opening up that LLC? Is that another thing that can go in the toolbox? Is it necessarily... Uh, a requirement that I give them $150,000 to buy citizenship? No, a couple grand. It costs a couple grand to okay. open a legal entity on the island. Uh, and it usually comes with bank account. Again, um, there's no global income tax. So if you run a business somewhere out of the island, there's no global income tax. Again, not an accountant, so you'll have to clarify that with, with your CPA. But, yeah, that's not that hard at all. That's an interesting um take on it though that you know you have everything vested in one country and that's that's a mistake so i've been teaching for years with just basic investing like i'm like if your company has like a stock purchase plan where you buy your own company stock yeah i'm not saying not to use it all if they have a really generous match or something but don't put all your eggs there because you could have your company go bankrupt lose your job and lose your stock all in one go and that's kind of the, the, the concept of i'm an american citizen i have an american bank account i have all my money in american companies and I have all my accounts in American institutions, right? I mean, and the, so Bitcoin is one tool in that, 
yeah, I have, go get it. Go ahead. Take it. Good luck. Guess the right atom in the universe. But as much as we can diversify that, the better. I think that's a, an interesting take and a really, uh, really good one. Uh, this question's a little clunky, but I think I'll clean it up for K-Bonk here. Things change. Are the countries you've listed updated often? More, how are you making sure that your current recommendations are the best recommendations? I'm sure you just have like ongoing relationships with, with these programs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the countries that I work with, they do change. Sometimes I'll leave other jurisdictions. For example, recently I stopped working with Vanuatu. Vanuatu used to be the quickest way to obtain citizenship. It would be the same price, usually 150 grand or so. In like in a matter of two months, you could get a passport. Now the the due diligence of Vanuatu was not very good. They would totally let through all kind of criminal offenses, which pissed off European. And now European shut down uh, um, Vanuatu passport as a visa-free entry. So now this Vanuatu passport lost a lot of an advantage to other passports, and I just stopped working with them. And also because they're just getting pretty shady, so I was like, I'm not yeah. part of my business anymore. Now with uh, with COVID, the islands that I work with also been changing because some islands would shut down their citizenship by investment unit office. And the process, like due diligence process, would take 10 months instead of five. And I wasn't cool with that. Now, other islands would put put up um, extra restrictions and would, would require jobs for people to enter the island. Again, I wasn't cool with that, so I just stopped working with them. And based on that, I would also try to uh, kind of incentivize them and be like, hey, I had seven clients for your island, but they're all changing the jurisdiction now because they're not down for a job for entry. And, you know, those islands, like, again, we're, we're talking about basically a free market of citizenship. So mm-hmm. you can see they already lost tourism during COVID. If they now see that they're losing their last income stream, which is citizenship by investment, they're going to optimize. They're going to get better at their service. They're going to understand how they can attract more people. So, well, so that's just you, and you're talking five to seven people. So if I had three people today that told me on my $50 annual membership that I pissed them off and they were quitting – Good luck. Have a nice life. Bye. But if they were $200,000 a pop, that was $600,000 that just evaporated, even as a a government of an island nation. I'm kind of paying attention to that. Like, that's a lot of revenue to lose to people that you you just know the person that says $150,000 to be a citizen. Here's $150,000 to be a citizen. The Vanuatu thing, like you said, if you're letting in mafiosas or something, that's... That's different. But in general, person that, that has that kind of capital to invest in your country just to be a citizen is going to be a net gain. That person doesn't need a job. They don't need to be out, you know, I don't know, you know, cleaning the deck of a boat or something. They, they have means or they wouldn't be doing that. That's interesting that they would put that in as a, you know, I guess they're worried about making sure, like, I'm not there to use your social, social welfare system. But, like, it's, again, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why they want to see funds. They want to see source of funds. They want to like you're not gonna be after their social security programs and things like that. So this is an odd question to me. Goldshaw Farm says, any advice on a geographic diversification when your main business is a farm? The issue with that is, you know, if you have real property here in the United States, no matter how it's owned, it's still here in the United States, but. The way that I think of farms is different than I think a lot of people do because I'm a student of what Joel Salatin teaches. And 
Joel Salatin owns very little land. The farm is the brand. The farm is the management of the animals. The farm is the, the portable infrastructure that moves around. So, you know, 90% of the land that Joel Salatin farms, he's leasing from somebody else. So that does make the entity itself mobile, but I don't know how valuable it would be to have your farm that's in Delaware incorporated in St. Kitts. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know how that would work. Yeah, you basically have to see all the property uh, as a, like your custodial Bitcoin. It's okay. not necessarily on the same level, but that's how I see it. Like you own it, but at the same time, it's in the custody of your government. So you have to have some trust in the government. So like when you hold Bitcoin and Coinbase, I tell you to get the fuck out because it's so easy and you must do that. When you hold property, I see a lot of reasons to have property, but you just need to understand that it comes with with um, risks. My view on property is property that you reside on, that's a personal decision. All other real property, if it doesn't get, if it doesn't earn you income beyond the taxes and maintenance, get rid of it. I'm talking real property. They're not all, all things. But like, so if I owned a house in New Mexico that I couldn't put through Airbnb or something and generate a cash flow off of, and I got to go there once a year, I would divest myself of that property because it's, it's not an asset. It's a liability at that point. Whether or not your personal residence is an asset or liability is a function of how you manage it. And so, I don't know if you're thinking digital nomad, I'm seeing this piece of property that's sitting in the States somewhere as not necessarily bad, but it is what it is for a time and you should have an extra strategy from it, I, I guess is the tactical way to look at it. It's a interesting question. Um, but one thing I will heard. Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. is radical ownership, radical yeah. ownership. Yeah. That's uh, zero custody. It's fully yours. Yeah, and I, I, that's what I've always said. People are like, well, they can trace it and track it. Well, you can to a degree. It's not 100% there, but you could tell me, yes, you own all this Bitcoin. And, and actually, at that point, if, if I bought it, then I would want to say, yes, I do. Because now I don't, owe it. I don't owe you any taxes on it because I haven't sold it. I haven't realized it. So, yes, I do. Well, we want it. Good luck. Where, like one of our listeners, very uh, valuable member of our community named John, uh, was who's in New Hampshire, uh, the state of Massachusetts decided that he owed them income taxes. And they were, they were contesting it. He was doing everything right and having legal proceedings and stuff saying, no, you don't. And then just one day, they just, even though he was in New Hampshire, they just grabbed money right out of his bank account. That's and there was absolutely nothing that he could do to get it back. And I don't know if he ever did. And I think he felt wronged by it, like it wasn't a legitimate claim on money. And uh, but there was nothing he could do. But if that money had been in Bitcoin in Massachusetts, we know you have a half a million dollars in Bitcoin. Nice that you you believe that. I don't know how, what to tell you. Like, go ahead, take it. And the fact that that's never happened tells you it's not going to happen because you hear people say that Bitcoin got hacked or whatever. No, an exchange got hacked. A custodial database got hacked. Bitcoin has never been hacked. Um, I really enjoyed today's conversation. I think there's people thinking in a lot of different ways. Uh, this is another level up or layer of what I refer to as status jujitsu. And that's a big part of our philosophy here at, at the Survival Podcast. There's always a way around government because government's own rules can be bent against government. Uh, you know, it was as simple as we had a farm that we managed for a while in West Virginia, and they have like the tightest rules on raw milk 
in the country. You can't do a cow share. Like, you can't sell it as dog food. It's like, there's no way. And we're like, you know what? You can use raw milk for a soil amendment. So we sold it as a soil amendment. That's crazy. Put a label on it and said it's a violation of federal and state law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling. Refrigerated since harvest. Right? Like, there is always a way to bend the finger back of the giant. And it's about being creative and having the flexibility to just simply, in a way, I mean, Michael Saylor talks about with Bitcoin, it's like teleportation of the money. And by having multiple citizenships, you now have teleportation of the means by which you travel and the flag under which you travel and the flag under which you live and the flag under which you operate. So I think that's really cool. I've had a great time with you today. Uh, again, the website is planbpassport.com. Uh, definitely check it out. Guys, Katie, you got anything else before we sign off? No, feel free to reach out, Telegram, email, Katie at planbpassport.com, Katie the Russian on Twitter or Telegram. Feel free to just ask a question or we have a free call consultation on our website. Feel free to sign up. And I will have links to all of that good stuff in the show notes on the audio side of the podcast. That'll go up about one hour from right now. There's a link down there in the video notes, but if you click on it right now, it's not going to work because we're not done yet. We're getting there. Katie, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that one. If you did, remember, there's two main ways that you can help support this show and the work that I do. Number one is you can just do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there and you'll find all the stuff that we recommend. Everything there, I own it, I use it, I bought it. If I wouldn't buy it again, I wouldn't recommend it to you. Today's item of the day, I won't say much about it. It's the same one we have had yesterday. It's the grow lights, the eight packs of LED grow lights in two-foot and four-foot options. You can get eight of them for $69.99. That's $8.75 a light. You can get uh, eight, eight four-footers for $13.75 a light. Whole, whole total costs $109. If you're going to do indoor seed starting, indoor hydro, anything like that, uh, supplemental lighting in greenhouses, These are the lights you want. They're the best bang for the buck out there. Uh, I've been recommending the Barina lights for years. These are made by a company uh, called Kihung, but they're the same lights. They're completely interoperable. All the pieces work with each other. They're the same exact lights, probably made in the same shop with a different sticker on them. Uh, so says James, James White, who has actually helped me a lot with my endeavors Uh, into this world, and since they're such a good deal and since they're still on sale, I have just run them again today. The other way is become a member of the Member Support Brigade. You know, we were talking all about money today, one way or another here, protecting your assets. Well, one way to do that is to spend less money. And if you can spend, like, let's say $50 a year and then save a few hundred dollars a year, well, that's a no-brain investment. That's easy to do. If you're buying the kind of stuff that we talk about here on TSP, homesteading, uh, CBD products, uh, tactical products, plants, seeds, etc., it's almost inconceivable that you won't more than get your money back three, four times over annually with a membership. So please consider becoming a member today. Just go to the Survival Podcast Dom, Dong, the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. Also, reminder, 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 Saturday, 9.30 Central Standard Time, the 24th, that's this Saturday, the work, the fall workshop goes on sale. There is a lot of chatter. I'm getting a lot of feedback. A lot of people worried about getting in. 
All I can say is you need to be sitting there looking at Telegram at that time, and you need to be ready to click that link and fill out your form. I put out a video today that tells you kind of some tips to make sure that you get your best chance at coming and tells you all about the event. It's about 25 minutes long, totally worth watching. It will be in the uh, email of the day today, the Daily Mail. You guys should be on that. Then you won't miss anything. But you're going to need the Telegram app installed if you want a shot at this. I'm telling you right now. Uh, last year, we sold out about two minutes. This year, we're selling less tickets, and we'll probably sell out in less than two minutes. I'll just put it that way. So if you're not there, you're not getting in. Um, I keep hammering it, not because I'm so concerned with selling all the tickets, because I know we will. I keep hammering it so I don't get people mad at me when they say I tried and I failed and it's your fault. I, I'm warning you. And this is going to be maybe the best food we've ever done probably the best event we've ever done. I have some really great instruction coming for you guys this time, and it's always a great experience. So please, if you want to come to Fall 22, come on down. And uh, remember, if you can't come to that, if you're near Camden, Tennessee, I will be in Camden, Tennessee, October 1st and 2nd for the Self-Reliance Festival. Uh, that will be in the Daily Mail and the show notes and everything today as well. Or you have that virtual pass that John Bush told you about at the beginning of today's show. With that, let's go ahead and we'll sign off. Thanks for being with us today, and I will catch you tomorrow with another one. This has been another episode of The Bitcoin Breakout. To subscribe and learn more, please visit thebitcoinbreakout.com.